don't know about you, but I have thoroughly been enjoying this series, especially the reading. If some of you have, I know a number of you have been following along in the reading plan. Um, if you have a journal, we're on page 65, but it's just been fun all summer long to be reading through the Proverbs. Uh, just kind of taking them in each morning. Again, it's something we're very passionate about at Bethany is saying, hey, listen, it's great that you come here. It's great that you come to your life group. But one of the things we encourage more than anything is getting into the word of God for yourself and reading. So we put a plan together. Feel free to grab one out in the foyer. Uh, if you do have one, we're on page 65 uh, this morning. This morning as we continue, uh, we're talking about this subject of wisdom. Uh, wisdom isn't, if you're a wise person in this room, it's something that I think most of us desire to be. We desire wisdom. We, it's something we look uh, to have. Uh, and if we say, you know what, I'm a wise person. What I'm really saying is I am able to, I take understanding and knowledge in, and then I'm able to live it out. Wisdom is really skillful living. It's not the brightest or the smartest or the most intelligent and the most talented of us in the room. Matter of fact, uh, one of the things we talked about in week two is oftentimes that person is actually the fool in the room. Uh, But it's the person, the wise person, the person who's able to take knowledge in, take learning in, and then live it out and live it well. So it's really skillful living. I think because of that is why this subject that we're going to talk about this morning, you'll see it's slow to anger. Anger shows up a lot in the Proverbs, a whole lot. And I think the reason it shows up a lot is because anger is kind of the hallmark of the fool. If you're a foolish person, and that's a prominent character in the book of Proverbs, it shows up a lot. And the reason I think it's the hallmark of the fool is because often the the trait of the fool is they're proud. If you remember in week two, we talked about and how you deal with different people, the wise person, when truth shows up to those of us that are wise, we align ourselves to the truth. When the light shines, we say, oh, wow, look at that. And we change our life. What the fool does is when the truth shows up and the light shines, they adjust the light and adjust the truth as opposed to adjusting themselves to the truth. Now, so oftentimes pride, and at the root of a lot of anger is, is this thing called pride, and it shows up a lot. In other words, what happens a lot of times when I'm angry, it's my will is being blocked. What I want has been stopped. It's been thwarted. It's been changed. Um, and I, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to get angry to show you how important what I want really is, or to strike fear in your heart so that you'll bend towards my agenda, or so that I can scream unjust. Uh, and again, it's the hallmark of the fool. Remember, I'm starting to think, I, anger is one I've journeyed with a lot over the years. Uh, one of the classic stories that I, uh, I'll tell, and maybe this will relate, some of you can relate to this. I think I can pull some in. Uh, I think I was 18, maybe 19 years old, working on my first full-time job. And I had a lot to get done. And I had my plan kind of laid out and structured. I knew if I leave at this time in the day, I will get there on time for work. So I was working hard to get a bunch of other things done that I really wanted to get done. I come to leave, and I think, okay... I know I'll make it. Now, I lived at the time off kind of in this country area, and I'm coming down this, I mean, it's a long, straight stretch of road. And I might have been driving a little faster than I should have been driving, and I'm thinking, I'm going to get there in time. I'm going to make it. And as I'm coming down, there's another road I can see off in the distance with a car coming down to a stop sign. And I'm thinking, surely this guy will stop. Surely this guy can see that I am moving at a decent rate of speed, and then surely he can see two miles back that way, and there's not a single car behind me, so surely he will wait and wait for me to pass until he pulls out. Well, how's it go? They never wait, do they? They pull out, and you're like, really? So I'm thinking, well, surely, surely he'll, he's, he's in a hurry too, so he will drive as fast as I plan to drive. That's why he pulled out in front of me, so he could get ahead. Well, he didn't. He went slower. Now, those of you in this position, what begins to happen? 
I mean, you get angry, right? Some of you, road rages are very common. I'm getting angry. I'm, it's working up inside. I think, well, how can I get this guy to move? Now, the first thing I thought, well, I could pass him. But I knew well enough that in this particular area where I lived, about half a mile up this road, there was a long stretch, I knew half a mile to a mile up the road was a police station. But you know what? I probably I started to wave. No, nah, I don't want to pass him. Well, I'll get right up on his bumper, and surely... Surely he will either pull over graciously and allow me to pass, or, or he'll speed up. Well, it seems like he slowed down. It's like, well, what can I do? So I began, I might have given him a hand gesture or two. I'll just leave it to your imagination what happened there. And I start mouthing off. I and mean, I'm talking a mile a minute. I'm thinking, now I'm yelling at this guy. And he's um, finally come up to the stop sign. We get up to the stop sign, and I am just ticked off. And his door opens. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, here we go, dude. Let's go at it. I'll show you who's boss. So I open my door, and I'm getting out like I'm all full of myself. I'm going to take this guy on. And as he turns around, what I stare into the eyes of is an executive that works with my father. More than that, I was going to work for this executive. My heart just sank. And he looks at me, and he kind of went like this. He gave me a thumbs up and smiled, and he never told my father. Praise Jesus. (laughs) I learned my lesson. (laughs) Now, here's here's one of the things that I've learned about anger. Through that event and many others like him, um, we can laugh about that one, but uh, nothing really bad came out of it. But anger is a bad counselor. Uh, We'll see this over and over in Proverbs. Anger. It causes us to do very foolish things. Matter of fact, I've learned that a moment of patience... (laughs) A moment of patience will save me, when I'm angry, will save me a hundred moments of regret. Anger and folly, anger and foolishness, anger and poor choices often walk side by side, hand in hand. Proverbs 14, 17 says a short-tempered person or short-tempered people do what? Foolish things. If you're an angry person or your fuse is short, you're going to live a life where you do pretty regularly foolish things. And then it adds, and schemers are hated. Now, we're going to talk about anger and the dark side of anger. Before we go there, though, some of you in this room may protest and say, well, wait a minute, Adam, anger isn't all bad. You may say, well, God gets angry. And sure enough, we looked at this verse, uh, I believe it was last week, Proverbs 24, 17 to 18, don't rejoice When your enemies fall, don't be happy when they stumble, for the Lord will be displeased with you and will turn his what? His anger. Now, God, my belief is in Scripture, God is a holy God and he does not sin. So when he describes himself as having anger, I say, well, anger is not all bad. Some of you may sit here and quote um, Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, talks about Jesus looking out at the people, seeing their unbelief. It says he gets angry. He clears a temple out at one point with a whip, turns tables over and throws people out. And he gets angry. You say, well, God gets angry. Jesus gets angry. And then we read a verse like this, Ephesians 4, 26 to 27. It says, in your anger, do not sin. So you say, well, anger, Adam, is really not that bad. It's actually a good thing. Uh, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Well, here's my belief. Yes, God and Jesus get angry. They do, both of them. We're going to talk about it by the end of this message. And I believe sincerely that Christians, there are some Christians that ought to get a lot more angry about the right things. However, my belief is that most times, and as I read Proverbs, it seems to 
seems to support this. Most times our anger is selfish and quite foolish. And it's something that we should be avoiding, not stepping towards. So with that said, let's try and unpack anger. How do we deal with it? What is it? Um, one of the key verses that jumped out at me, Proverbs twelve sixteen. I think this is really gives us the heart of anger. It says, a fool is quick tempered, but a wise person stays calm when what? Now, when you're insulted, does it feel good? When someone makes fun of you, belittles you, puts you down, gives you a hard time. I and mean, how does it feel? It's pain, right? It's hurt. Well, one of the things that I have learned about anger over the years is anger is actually what's called a secondary emotion. Anger is not a primary emotion. Anger is not underneath anger is something else. And oftentimes what lies underneath anger is hurt and pain. Matter of fact, what I have learned in my journey with anger, it's a lot easier to feel angry than it is to feel hurt. So when I'm hurt, when someone has hurt me, insulted me, stepped towards me with an offense, it is much easier for me to come back with anger than for me to step back and say, wow, that hurts. Why does that hurt? What does it say about me? It's much easier to feel angry than it is to feel hurt. Some psychologists and theologians and pastors actually refer to anger as deflected pain. They go so far as to call it anger is not only a secondary emotion, but anger is deflected pain. So here we see this verse, a fool is quick tempered, but when a wise person, when they're insulted, when they're hurt, when something comes at them and offense moves in their direction, they stay calm. So how do we stay calm? Well, I think the first thing is to recognize the second, the reality of secondary emotions. Where does anger come from? Well, I've done a lot, a lot of journey in this one. This is one that I have had to work through a lot. And what I have learned from different counselors and psychologists and pastors and uh, books that I've read on this, I've read a lot on this subject, I have seen the secondary emotion of anger is trying to come from three big areas. And you can add others to this, no doubt. And there's offshoots of this, but I've kind of summed it up into three areas. First one, frustration. Oftentimes when I am getting angry, it's because I have some kind of tangible goal whether it's a realistic, um, tangible goal or whether it's a relational goal. Like I want my, uh, you may say, I want my husband to be home from work by six o'clock and he's late all the time. I'm frustrated. I have a goal and it's been blocked. Or maybe you say, why is she always late? Always late. (laughs) Again, so I have some kind of goal. We want to do something and that goal is blocked and it causes frustration. And oftentimes what comes out of that, I want to preserve my own agenda. I want to get done what I want to get done. And I'm frustrated. So anger often is the emotion that comes out. But the primary thing is this thing of frustration. The second one anger will flow from um, anger again being a secondary, but the primary is often injustice. In other words, my rights were violated. Uh, You hurt me in a way it's unfair, even if it's only perceived. Like what's been done to me really may not be that big of a deal, but through my eyes, it is a big deal. Now, one um, counselor actually says it this way, to rage on, to continue with my anger, I must regard myself as mistreated or rectifying an unbearable wrong. I'm here to fix the wrongs of the world and make them right. The third category that that is kind of the primary that then leads to the secondary, which is anger, is wounded self-esteem is is one way to say it. In other words, someone steps towards me and I may feel that they're calling me stupid or I feel rejected or um, I am 
I kind of perceive that someone's attacked who I really am deep in the core of my being, or I feel abandoned. So therefore that feeling hits and automatically it moves to anger. Um, great. He's passed away a few years ago, Dallas Willard. He says it this way. You find a person who has embraced anger and you find a person with a wounded ego, wounded self-esteem. So you kind of have these three big categories and you can throw others in with them. For example, I've seen some talk about another core is fear. So I have a fear of something and, and often that fear then triggers anger. I feel helpless is another one or shame is another one that can trigger this. But it's often all of it's this primary stuff and it leads to the secondary. It's this hurt and this pain that moves in my direction and then it comes out as anger. So how do we deal with it? So what I want to talk about. Proverbs talks a lot about this. How do I deal with it? How do I change If I'm an angry person at any level, how do I change this? Well, I think the first thing you see in Proverbs is this. Deal with it honestly. Acknowledge it. Don't mask it. You know, here in Lancaster County, there's this term called passive aggression. You ever heard that? Well, I've heard over people that travel the globe and other writers say, man, we are notorious in this area of the country for being what's called passive aggressive. I may not look angry on the surface. You may not look at me. I don't blow up. I don't spout off. I don't scream. I don't holler. I don't go to attack people and fight. But man, I'm angry and I'm going to hold it in. And I'm going to play my cards to you like I'm cool. But I'm going to do a lot with, within my actions towards you to get my way, to show you that I'm in control and that you need to bend to me. Passive aggression. Now, the scriptures, Proverbs talks a lot about this. And they say, listen, be honest with that primary hurt. Deal with it. Bring it to God. Here's a couple of them. Proverbs chapter 10, 18. It says, hiding hatred, hiding anger makes you a what? Don't hide it. If you have it, don't shove it down in and think, well, I don't, it's really not there. Slandering others makes you a fool. Uh, another one. Proverbs chapter 26, 24 to 26. It says, people may cover their hatred with pleasant words. Do you know anyone like that? You know, there's a problem, but they're so kind and they're these pleasant words, but they're deceiving you. They pretend to be kind, but don't believe them. Their hearts are full of many evils. While their hatred may be concealed by trickery, their wrongdoing will be, and look at this one, will be what? Where's it going to be exposed? It's public. So he says, deal with this. Be honest about it. Don't shove it down in and hide it away. Be honest about it. I think the other thing I'd say is um, don't, don't, here's another one. A lot of times we get angry with God. This Proverbs talks about this. Be honest. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. Do you know anyone like that? You watch them make choices in their life that you're like, man, the scriptures say not to do that. And they say that when you do that, a lot of pain is going to come and they continue to do it. And then they sit back and are like, well, God, God isn't for me. God hates me. What's God? And they're so angry at God. And it's like, no, be honest. Be honest with who you are. Be honest with your stuff. Be honest with the primary emotion. Be honest with your hurt and let's deal with it. Don't mask it. I think, again, that's the first road to dealing with anger. Second thing Proverbs talks about is align your will and heart with God's will and heart. This kind of comes from week one. Fear God. Fear God above all else is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, have a proper reverence in all of him, but then also walk with him in an intimate way. Fear God. See, oftentimes what anger does, anger alerts me to there's an obstruction to my will. So if I want to, when I get angry because my will has been blocked, 
I want to make sure then that my will is in line with his will. God, not my will be done, but your will. So that when my will is blocked and anger does come up, I can be assured that it's good anger because I know it's God's will for my life and for, for humanity in general. I think the other thing with this one is understand that God is in control of life. Proverbs sixteen nine, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. If you show me a controlling person, I guarantee you, you've shown me an angry person. People who have the personality or sin, sometimes it's just flat out sin, this desire to control and to move things in a certain direction, oftentimes they will struggle with anger because they have agendas, they have plans, they, they're, they're putting things together to move in a certain direction. It's so important to understand, you know what? I can make my plans, but ultimately life is about what God unfolds before me. Okay, so be honest, align my heart with God's heart, my will with God's will. The third one, and this may come as a bit of a surprise, keep your mouth shut. In other words, don't vent. Venting is a common thing. We're angry, we just want to go vomit on someone. Go down and punch the bag and get it all out of me. Just vent it all out, blow it off. Well, Proverbs talks about this and says some interesting things. If you want to control your anger, Proverbs 17, 27, a truly wise person uses what? They don't, they don't use a lot of words. Talkers are often angry people. If you're a person who just rambles on, you're probably got a problem with anger. A person with understanding is even tempered. Proverbs 18, 13, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. And I want to throw something out with this one. Seldom do you have all the facts. Maybe it's a husband that you're angry with because he did. Seldom do you know why he did and all the circumstances that led him to do that. Or maybe you're angry at your boss because of a decision he made at work. Seldom. I promise you, you probably weren't in all the meetings and inside of his head and all the leaders' heads that ultimately led to that decision. Seldom do we have all the facts and understand all the stuff that's on the table that led to a decision or led to an action. Seldom do we have it all, but often, man, we see the results and we get angry and we just start spouting off. It only makes us angrier. Next verse, Proverbs 29, 11. Fools vent their anger, but what does a wise person do? What does it say? They quietly hold it back. As I looked at this this week, Iowa State has done a lot of study on this. It's interesting. Very, there is practically no research that supports that venting, venting helps. But there is a body of research that actually shows that venting, just giving full vent to my anger. So I get home after the meeting and I was hurt at something at the meeting. I just blah, all over Tanya. Or you get home after interaction with a friend who really hurt you, really said something, the knife was stuck in your back, and you just come home and blah, all over your spouse or your friend. The research indicates, Proverbs says it, and then the research indicates that that venting actually makes us angrier, doesn't subdue anger. Here's what I would suggest in this one. In place of venting, find a good friend who can do the work with you of finding the primary emotion. Okay, so you get home after the meeting, you get home after the interaction with a friend, you get home after something and you sit down and, and with someone and you're hurt, you you're, have this pain inside, it's coming up as anger. Sit down with someone who you can get that out and get to the primary source, not just vomit all over the place and vent. It doesn't actually help. Now, the next one, here's another I think thing Proverbs says, if I want to deal with my anger, mind your own business. If you can't keep your nose 
within your own business, you are going to be an angry person. And I'll be honest, as I've thought about this this week, I've got a lot to deal with. In my own life, Adam Nagel has plenty to deal with. I don't need more problems that are involved in your life too. Just keep myself dealing with me. And some of the verses on this one, uh, Proverbs twenty six seventeen: interfering in someone else's argument is as foolish as yanking a dog's ears. Now, I don't have dogs, and that's for good reason. I don't want dogs. <laughs> I grew up with dogs. I just don't want a dog. My, my kids have tried, and they continue to try, and I keep saying, no, I don't want a dog. But we grew up with Great Danes, and Great Danes, we did something interesting. They don't do this much with Great Danes. We used to crop their ears, and we'd take the puppies, and we'd cut their ears, and then the vet would actually take, and it's kind of gross, but they'd take tampons and stick tampons down in the ear and then wrap tape around them until the cartilage formed where the Great Danes' ears were sticking up. So I learned through that that the dog's ears are tender. They don't like it. Now, you go grabbing a dog's ears and yanking on them, you're going to pay for it. So don't interfere in other people's stuff. There are two people going at it. You know what? Let them go at it. Don't try and step in. Don't try and take sides. Just just keep your, to your own stuff. Um, next verse, Proverbs 25, 23. As surely as a north wind brings rain, so a gossiping tongue causes what? Whew. You go sitting down with someone talking about stuff that you ought not to be talking about. It's a guaranteed reality. You will be dealing with anger. Keep your mouth shut. Don't run towards with, with these juicy little morsels of, of news that you think you have. Proverbs ten twelve, Hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. And this stirring up quarrels or causing troubles. I wanted to get more verses in, but I'm, I don't want to overwhelm you with verses this morning. There is a ton of verses on being a troublemaker. And causing anger. Don't be a troublemaker. Don't step into other stuff. Just, just let it go. Now, there's a lot of other things we could say on how to control it outside of Proverbs even. I want to mention, uh, we've got a, some great counselors that, that uh, work out of our building here. Out on the wall, if you head down that hall, Grant told you where the bathroom is. You continue to walk past the bathroom. On the left, you'll see a wall there. They actually have a booklet there. There's a whole pile of booklets. There is one right there now called Controlling Anger. It's got some good stuff in it. Just want to draw attention to that. Feel free to grab them. They're there for resources. There's a lot of other stuff out there on how to control anger. What I'd like to do now is just shift the gears, if you allow me. You say, well, okay, I don't have a problem with anger, but you know what? He does, or she does, or that friend does. How do I live with someone who is angry? Well, the Proverbs talks a lot about that too. First thing, I think, when I'm living with someone who is angry, understand that it's dangerous. It is safer to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than to confront a fool caught in foolishness. Have any of you ever done this? <laughs> this is dangerous. I remember when I was um, in high school, we went up to Pennsylvania State Farm Show Complex, had the outdoorsman show. Now, I'm not an outdoorsman at all, but I just kind of go along to hang out. Uh, and they always, when I was, a, I don't know if they do this anymore, but they used to have this gigantic bear there that they put a muzzle on and then they declawed it, I believe. And then you could pay good money to wrestle this thing. I don't know why anyone would do this. Uh, so I love to watch the fools try and do it. And a couple of them were my friends and they'd pay big money and they'd get in this ring with this bear. You know what? The bear always won. I never saw the bear lose. I never heard of the bear losing. 
Now I'm told that's just a bear that's somewhat domesticated, but I'm told you get out in the wild and you rob a bear of its cubs and you get in between a mama bear and her cubs, you are in big trouble. So understand that when you step towards a fool, there's a lot of verses in Proverbs that talk about how dangerous it is. When someone gets angry, they are bent on destruction. And it would be safer for you to go take on that big bear than an angry fool. So again, understand, it is dangerous. Walk with caution, protect yourself. Next one, stay patient and answer softly. This is huge. Proverbs 25, 15, patience can persuade a prince. So you've got a leader. You want your leader to do something. Maybe it's a boss at work. Maybe it's someone that, but they have power of some kind. How do you persuade them? Well, you stay patient. You stay with perseverance. And then this next one, soft speech can what? Look at this. Isn't that cool? Soft speech can actually break bones. See, we use anger to show that I'm in control. Back down now is what anger is for. I am here to subdue and to take control of the situation, and I'm going to force my way in with my anger. But actually, it's actually soft speech. Soft, gentle speech can break a bone. Next verse, Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Again, gentle response can deflect anger. One of the things I've learned with this verse in in my life is anger begets anger. Anger feeds off each other. That's why a lot of times angry people are afraid of other angry people. When I began to deal with my own anger, I would sniff other angry people out. And I would, when I go to engage other angry people, my hands would literally shake because I knew I don't want to get angry. They're angry. And I step towards them. Anger begets anger. So again, it's a gentle answer deflects anger. Don't bring your anger to the table because it will just get uglier. Okay. So understand it's dangerous. Stay patient and soft and gentle. The next thing, limits and consequences. This comes back to week two. We talked a lot about this. And again, if you missed it, go back and listen there. I just want to share one verse on this one. Proverbs 19, 19, hot tempered people must pay the penalty. If you rescue them once, you will have to do it again. If you have an angry person in your life, do not hold the consequences back from their anger. If their anger is drawing distance in the relationship, let the distance there. Don't chase them down. If their anger has caused them to get arrested, I mean, they've done something really stupid and blew off out in public. Let them get arrested. Let them go to jail. Let them pay their fines. Don't pay it for them. Don't rescue them from it. This proverb is powerful. Hot-tempered people must pay the penalty. It's the only way they're going to learn is to face the consequences of their choices. So don't rescue them. I guess limits and consequences. Again, that goes back to week two. If you missed it, uh, you want to grab it there. Next one. Don't make angry people your close friends. Some of you go, great, I'm married to one. How would I do about that? (laughs) Proverbs 22, 24 to 25, it says, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. This is huge. This makes me think back to Ephesians chapter four where it says, do not let the sun go down in your wrath. Deal with your anger. Don't give the devil, do you remember what it said there? A foothold. A lot of times when I think of a foothold, I think of climbing rocks, which I'm not very good at, but I've done it a few times where you you look for that place to get your hand or your foot in to dig in to try and pull up. The Greek word actually means to dwell, to live with, to inhabit. 
So when I allow anger and I allow angry people in my life, I then get angry. I mean, this is to be taken seriously. What I'm doing is giving the devil a place to live, to hang out, and it will wreck and destroy my soul because the devil is bent on stealing, killing, and destroying. So this is serious. So those of you who have angry friends, I would honestly suggest you quit, drop the friendship. Just, you know what? <laughs> I, because I care a lot about my soul and my relationship with God, just drop the friendship. You say, well, how about if I, it's my spouse? Get help. Reach out for help. Talk to me. Talk to one of our elders. Grab one of our counselors and just say, hey, I got it because it is a big deal. Anger is a big deal and something to be handled with. Now, again, anger is a bad counselor. It will take you to some bad places and cause you to do some foolish things. It's hurt a lot of people. And many in this room, I'm sure, that have been hurt by anger. An angry dad, an angry mom, an angry boss, someone who spouted off, an angry teacher. Anger is a bad counselor. And anger begets anger. We learn it. We feed off of it. So get to the heart. Get to the primary. Get to the hurt. What I'd like to do... Don't, please don't turn here. I want to read this to you. Just read it and listen. I want to end with two pictures of God's anger. Because I think when we view God's anger, it helps us deal with our anger. So I want to read this passage. It's in Isaiah. Maybe write it down. Look at it this week. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Just listen as I read this. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. It says, What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. That dark is light and light is dark. That bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. What sorrow for those who are heroes at drinking wine and boast about all the alcohol they can hold. They take bribes to let the wicked go free and they punish the innocent. Therefore, just as fire licks up stubble and dry grass shrivels in the the flame, so their roots will rot and their flowers wither. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of heaven's armies. They have despised the Lord of the Holy One of Israel. That is why the Lord's anger burns against his people and why he has raised his fist to crush them. The mountains tremble and the corpses of his people litter the streets like garbage. But even though the Lord's anger is not satisfied, his fist is still poised to strike. Woe to you. When you call evil good and good evil, woe to you. We live in a culture that does this a lot. We live in our own homes that do this. Woe to you. And it says God's anger when he sees all the corpses. This is a gruesome scene. The corpses lined along the street. It will not be satisfied. The mountains will tremble. He will strike his fist. He is ticked off. And notice it doesn't say with them out there. He says with his people. His covenant people, the people who he started a relationship with, he is angry. You know, one of the things I've learned in our culture, we try so hard to see this God of love. God is love. If we do not understand his holiness and his anger, we will never understand his love. The two go hand in hand. We don't understand his majesty and his magnificence and his greatness and the standard that he upholds that he calls us to. And he says, come and live with me. We will never understand the grace and the mercy and the love of our creator. This passage is calling people to repentance. 
Isaiah is crying out and saying, please repent, repent of your ways. See this holy God, bow down and surrender to him. Allow his anger to do that for you. See, there's another scene of his anger that I'm not going to read it, but I want to retell it because it actually happens twice in the life of Jesus. It happens at the very start of his ministry in John chapter 2, and it happens at the very end of his ministry in Matthew chapter uh, 21 and other places it's recorded. Some of you know the story. Jesus shows up in the temple, and when he shows up in the temple, what he sees is he walks in. He sees a place where his people, the Jewish, the Israelite people, have been called Way back when Abraham came, one of the things that Abraham, the father of Jewish people, they said, listen, Abraham, you will be the father of many nations. You're going to bless many people. I'm calling you to reach the nations. So when the temple was constructed, they built this thing. They built this whole place of worship where people come in and worship. So Jesus shows up at this temple. And as he looks around, he sees this court that he walks into littered with vendors, Tables set up all over selling doves and sheep and lambs for the sacrifices that are required to engage with their living creator God. Now, see, the people in that day, what the Jewish and religious leaders began to do, say, you know what, you know what, let's make some money off this deal. People travel to come worship in this place and they bring their doves. And when they come in, they say, well, you know what, sorry, that dove is blemished. You can't sacrifice a blemished dove. You've got to buy this one. So they're selling and making profit off relationship with God. More than that, what's end up happening, the Jewish people would say, and the religious leaders said, you know what? The, the Roman money is garbage. It's not accepted here in the temple. But they were making money off of it though, because then the people would come and they'd have to exchange their Roman money for temple money to be able to purchase the things they want to sacrifice. They're exchanging this money at high exchange rates. So the religious leaders are making money off this money that's supposedly no good. And then they're using it to profit and get rich. And Jesus walks into this and he actually, in John chapter two, the first time it doesn't, we don't hear him doing this the second time, but the first time he actually takes a whip and he gets a whip out and he starts cracking this thing. He flips tables over. I can just picture the scene. There's probably doves and pigeons flying all over the place. There's probably lambs and goats taken off there. There's people screaming. There's money clinking and clanking all over. And he is ticked off. And he says to the people, both times it's recorded, my house is to be a house of worship and you've made it a den of robbers. You're profiting off this thing called religion, off a relationship with me. Now we stop there and we say, wow, dude, you're angry. I mean, settle down. But when we really understand the heart of it, when we really understand the grasp this, what drove him to such anger, I think it is incredibly healing for our own anger. See, what happens is, is we don't read this, but we read that it's in the court of the Gentiles. What is that? Well, the court of the Gentiles is the part of the temple that's been set up for the, for the Gentile people who are not allowed to come into the holier places. But because Abraham was to be the father of all nations, we're going to leave a place when they built the temple for the all nations to come and worship. Well, guess where this money exchange was set up? In the court of the Gentiles. So God walks in and he has a heart for all people. That is the mission that he's called us to, even as a church, go and reach the nations. Reach all people, not just your own kind, reach all people. So God walks in and sees this all blocked up. More than that, Matthew chapter 21 gives us an incredible insight as to what really ticked Jesus off. Remember that Isaiah passage we read, Isaiah 5, where God's angry? If you continue reading through Isaiah, it prophesies of someone coming who is going to give sight to the blind, who's going to free the prisoner, who's going to speak for the oppressed. 
Jesus stands up at the beginning of his ministry and he reads that passage and he sits down and says, it has been fulfilled today. So Jesus, in other words, is saying, I have come to free people from their sins. I have come to set the captive free. I have come to open blind eyes. I have come to take care of the oppressed. Well, when he walks into this outer court, see the crippled were not allowed to go into the better places. Children were not allowed to go into the better places. So when he clears out the temple in Matthew chapter 21, guess what immediately happens? It says in Matthew chapter 21, and he began healing the lame and the crippled. The children begin to run to him. Those who were oppressed, who have been pushed down by the anger and injustice of everyone around him are coming to him and he's restoring their relationship with their creator. Come unto me and find rest, all you who are weary and burdened for your soul. I love it. Jesus' anger was restorative. But see, what's interesting to me, when you read the text in Matthew chapter 21 and the others, the religious leaders, guess what they do? They pull together, hey, hey, guess what? This guy's dead. Let's start right now to figure out how to get realistic about killing him. And it says very clearly from that point forward, they looked for every opportunity they had to end his life. They just got angrier. So as I read these two stories in Isaiah chapter five, and you read about God's anger, then you read about Jesus walking and see Jesus' anger in both cases, calling for repentance. In Matthew chapter five, the abused and neglected, the the persecuted, the lame, the crippled, they saw his anger as a safe place to retreat. He's here for me. He got angry for the right reasons. It spoke hope and life. And as I read about this and I read these places, I read the Isaiah 5 and I say, man, my sinful, selfish anger, it makes me want to fall on my knees and repent. And as I read these stories of Jesus clearing the temple, what it does for me, it says, man, you know what? Jesus is a safe place to come and find rest for those wounds and those hurts that I have hidden deep inside of me that drive up the anger. I can come to him and find healing and find life and find hope and find rest for my soul. And in those places, as I deal with Jesus, I begin to deal with my own anger. So I think when we begin to stare at the anger of our holy creator, God, who is for us, I believe it's in those places where we find the real hope for our own anger, for dealing with what I have going on. So what I'd like to do is I want to pray for us as we close. And I know anger is a very real subject. It's something that all of us wrestle at some level. I think all of us wrestle with. And if you don't wrestle with it, you probably have people in your life who are wrestling with it. As you have people in your life who are wrestling with it, you in turn get hurt. <laughs> and it, then you got to do some of that hurts. I just want to pray for us. I want to pray for us to learn to surrender to our creator, to bow our knee to him, to say, here I am, to walk with and follow you. You ordain my life. You set the plans for my life. And I am going to surrender my control, my will, my desires, my heart to you. And God, thank you so much for your restorative anger, for the grace, for the anger that, that, that drew people to you, not repelled from you. God, thank you so much for Jesus. God, I think of that story there in, uh, we see it a couple times in the gospels where Jesus walks in and clears out a temple, clears out a religious gathering, breaks it all up and says, this is disgusting. God, in that anger, we see a picture of grace. We see a savior who is burdened with his mission, who is calling out 
to the lame, the crippled, those who are carrying heavy loads, who are hurting, who are struggling. God, and we see him call people to himself. God, thank you so much for being a God who is holy, who is bigger than my imagination will ever imagine, who is grand and powerful and great, but is also good. God, as we look in the face of Isaiah 5 and other passages and see your anger burn, God, would it humble us? Would it bring us to a place where my anger pales in comparison to and the silly little things that get me upset, God, would it, would it call me to repentance? All of us in this room, would it call us to bend our knees to you? And God, then as we see Jesus' anger, God, would it give us hope of your grace and your mercy? God, I love in Matthew the story, after you clear the temple, your son heals. He heals people. God, Ephesians says it so clearly. In our anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon our wrath. Because if we do, we give the devil who's here to steal, kill, and destroy a foothold, a place to live and to dwell. And God, I'm pretty confident there's not a single person in this room that wants that to be true of their life. So help us to take this subject seriously. Help us to root it out in our own hearts. And God, help us and give us the wisdom to interact with the people in our lives that are angry. Give us the wisdom to respond with patience, gentleness, and soft answers, allowing the consequences to sit and not rescuing. God, ultimately help us to see you, a beautiful, magnificent God who does get angry. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.